Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Hey, bartender. Even if you were, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Some people got to uh, take a couple drinks once in a while in order to uh, do interviews and stuff like this. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I, anyway, welcome back to Hey Bartender Podcast. I am your bartender for the evening. I'm the dude. Or you can call me Anthony. We, uh, I've been doing this podcast long enough. We can get to that now. Today, I got a very special, uh, very special show going. I've uh, my guest today is uh, has been a bartender, wine importer, and also member of the band Prisoners of New York. Uh, if everybody uh, listening to Hey Bartender podcast could help me welcome Shane Smith. Shane, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's always great to get uh, get guests on the show. That's been my get. Uh, that was my goal for this year to get more and more guests because a lot of my shows it's just me babbling so okay. uh, i really appreciate you taking the time out to uh help me out with my show well you bet i luckily my wife knew how to set me up on soon so <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a little bit of a learning curve nowadays with all this thing uh even oh, yeah. even the celebrities i see on youtube they uh they talk about how they're you know because of the whole quarantine and everything they're doing interviews through zoom and yeah uh yeah, there's a little bit of a learning curve. Even I had a little bit of trouble trying to remember how to get it to work. But uh, so anyway, uh, you are a bartender. And so what I like to do in the beginning of my shows is do you have a drink special for us, something that you'd like to make or something original uh, that we can teach my audience? Sure. I mean, my one of my favorite drinks, and I, I at one point in my career was a, a – import manager for uh, spirits for a, a big importing company in New York, a, a medium sized company. And I was finding a lot of cool, small uh, micro distilleries in America. And uh, I found a, a cool uh, producer in, in Chicago called Letherby. Um, really great stuff. They make only botanical spirits. So gin, they made one of the first um, fernets that was available in America. This has gone back four or five years. Now there's a bunch of them, but uh, five or six years. So, um, I came up with a, a cocktail that I named the, the Amber Negroni. Okay. So instead of using anything red or dark colored, uh, well, dark colored would just come from the Letherby Fernet as the bitter element. So it'd be one part gin, one part Fernet, and one part white vermouth, the sweet type, not the dry. Um, but I always thought it was a little too sweet. So I would go a little higher on the gin, maybe go up to uh, and maybe like, instead of one ounce, go like 1.5 ounces on the gin and, you know, 0.75 on the, the Fernet and the, uh, the white vermouth, which I really like a vermouth called Droppo vermouth, but I don't know how available it is in the rest of America. It's here in New York. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've heard of that. Uh, I there's always been a local bar standard of, uh, I, and I it, the name escapes me. The company, uh, the type of remove Dolan, maybe, maybe. Yeah, Dolan's around. It has a pretty label. Yeah. They make a white sweet vermouth that would totally work with that cocktail. And yeah. then uh, I like to stir cocktails, so stir it on ice. You know, be classy. No chunks of ice. <laughs> stir and, uh, it's good. Stir it on ice. No, no shake. Just uh, stir a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I like to stir as opposed to those type of cocktails as, as opposed to shaking. Personally, any garnishment that goes with it? Uh, slice of orange. Slice of orange goes nice with everything. Seems like. So, yeah. and the, the name of that drink again was. Amber Negroni. Amber Negroni. All right, people, if you uh, go out there and try to make that drink, please let me know. Dude at HeyBartenderPodcast.com. And, uh, you know, let it, uh, let everybody know because I like to hear what you people think about all these drinks that I show you guys. So, anyway, Shane, on with the show here. Um, so, where are you from? Uh, I'm originally from Logan, Utah. Uh, it's in northern Utah. It's very close to the border of Idaho. If any of uh, your listeners, I'm sure everybody has, but saw the, the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Um, it was filmed in my dad's high school just over the border in Idaho where he grew up. <laughs> Those guys were from there and they filmed it and they went to BYU and made a student film and showed it at Sundance and got picked up and made this iconic movie. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. So, so if you, yeah, they don't show the backdrop a lot in that movie. I realized, cause I think they wanted it to look like it could be anywhere, but yeah. Um, but that's where I'm from. I grew up, my dad's a music, a jazz professor. Uh, I grew up in a musical family raised Mormon. So I'm a total like, you know, conflict <laughs> <laughs> Mormon wine importer. Yeah. Uh, I'm what you call a Jack Mormon. A which Mormon? Jack Mormon. Jack Mormon. Okay. Uh, yeah. Plus with the rock and roll and the drinking and yeah, it sounds. <laughs> well, weirdly, the, the rock and roll, like my uh, Mormons, Mormons do listen to music. They're Donnie and Marie. Oh, you know? yes. Yes. I can't forget them. <laughs> but my dad, we played rock and roll uh, in our family band. Mm-hmm. Nothing too crazy. I sang like Proud Mary by, by Creedence Clearwater when I was like four years old and was in the family band. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was raised and, you know, being raised on jazz, but nobody drank. Okay. Uh, so there you go. So eventually, when did you decide to start working the service industry as a bartender? Well, um, there's a lot that went on before that. My music, uh, I had a career in music. I've moved around to a lot of cities. I li- I've lived in several big cities in New York and mm-hmm. uh, in America. And, uh, but when I got to New York, at some point, I just kind of was like, I don't know if I can keep struggling in this rat race of playing music and I need to find some other way to, cause I did actually make a living from music for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a wine at a, a job at a wine shop in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And that, and then they fired me two weeks before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then I, luckily I got a, another job at a newer wine store opening called Uva wine. That's a pretty popular store here in New York. And I, I ran that for the first three years and uh, learned a ton about wine, became the wine buyer and manager there, mm-hmm. and really learned a lot about um, natural wine, which is really popular right now, mm-hmm. uh, at least, you know, in a lot of the bigger cities, I guess. But um, so, so, that's, so, so being in that wine business, I then was like, hey, maybe I should work in a restaurant because they're making a bunch of tips and bartending, you know, right. so kind of evolved that way. Yeah, being a musician, uh, I uh, know how you feel because uh, – 
before I I was an aspiring musician, I uh, tried to catch on in Seattle when uh, the sub pop era was really popular. Oh yeah. Uh, post post Kurt Cobain, you know, wherever he is. Uh, but right. Um, but I was uh, I tried for quite a few years to catch on playing various instruments, playing with various people. Uh, and I absolutely know how tough it is to actually make money doing that sort of thing and to yeah. find, find people that you actually can play with that. That was the key. Uh, yeah. I, I hear the same thing. I mean, I, I lived in LA and Hollywood during the tail end of the, of the hair metal years and my band got signed to a major label and we thought we were going to be rock stars. And, and then it, and literally Kurt Cobain came along and Allison chains <laughs> yeah. and the writing was on the wall. It was over. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember, uh, uh, I don't, was, uh, the lead singer for uh, warrant. Uh, he was yeah. talking about, he, he, in his, uh, in his record labels office, their cherry pie. Uh, no, that's not warrant. Was it? Yeah, uh, cherry oh, pie. Yeah, the yeah. their album Sadly, cherry pie that. was on uh, big on the wall, and they were all happy. And the next time they walked in, all of a sudden they saw Alice and Shane's facelift, and they thought, "Oh crap!" <laughs> yeah, and... no, it's true. It's true. I can even remember. I, I know a moment when it happened. We went to a. There was an old member of the metal magazine Rip. Yeah. R.I.P. Magazine. Yeah. We uh, I through some some contacts got invited to the Rip magazine party. It was like the the event you wanted to go to and they had the coolest bands playing and everybody schmoozing and it was in the Hollywood Palladium, um, this crazy venue. And this guy I knew in the business who was the manager of ugly kid Joe. Do you remember that? Band? Yes, of course. Um, I'll, I, I hate everything about you. Was a band. Yeah. I knew this guy and he goes, dude, you got to check out this band, Allison James. And I'm like, who's she? And he's like, no, dude, it's not a sheep. <laughs> yeah. Have, and we I, saw them come on, and Lane Staley had short hair and Ray-Ban glasses and, like, a 70s disco shirt. Mm -hmm. And people were moshing and going psycho, and I just looked at my guitar player, and I'm like, it's over. <laughs> you know, I, I wondered if that was kind of the conversation that Metallica had, because when uh, they did their Black album, and they still yeah. had the long hair and uh, yeah. all that stuff... Then Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, they all of a sudden came out and became popular. And then all of a sudden Load and Reload came out. They had short hair. They were playing a uh, half step down. And were they conforming? You know, I, I often wondered about that. I mean, I, I still love the music that came out post-Black Album. but Absolutely. D didn't they all go to therapy around then, too? Oh, that was a, a, a long ways later. after after Jason... <laughs> After Jason Newstead left the band, right? So, did you get to rub elbows? Uh, you go, uh, went to a thing for Rip Magazine. Did you get to rub elbows with anybody that's uh, uh, anybody that I, I would know? Um, I mean that that night I don't remember. I remember seeing Lane Staley passed out next to the bar with his head in his hands. Uh. <laughs> like clearly, whenever he took whatever he was taking that night, you know, whether it was pre-show or after he was, he was a goner and nobody, he wasn't famous enough for anybody to give, to give a damn, you know? Yeah. He was just, I just recognized him from the, the disco shirt. <laughs> um, but the, uh, I mean, you know, he had like this polyester flowered shirt on, but um, man, that night, I can't remember. There was, there was definitely a lot of people there. I had some crazy experiences in Hollywood. I, uh, one night, David Coverdale from Whitesnake 
got up and sang three songs with me at a what is now the Viper Room. It oh, used to be yeah. called the Central. It used to be called the Central. Oh, I know it as uh, the Viper Room. Yeah. Yeah, it was the Central. It's like a famous place. I mean, if there's the band The Sweet, they have this album called Desolation Boulevard. It's mm-hmm. an amazing album. Uh, but the Central Bar is in the background. Uh, it was kind of kitty corner to the whiskey a go go, and then now it's the Viper. So yeah, but yeah, yeah that, that was that's where I know it from because uh, everybody talks about uh, when they talk about the whiskey a go go, they also talk about the Viper Room. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, what whatever point? I mean, the, literally the the owner that owned it when we were associated with Central, they actually took pity on us and let let our band store our gear in the basement. And we were just poor and like literally sleeping on like strippers' floors and stuff, and mm. and. Uh, and they kind of took us in and we would do showcases in the bar during the afternoon for labels and stuff or possible management and stuff. And then uh, one day the, the owner of the bar was kind of the, sadly, the, the classic like alcoholic bartender. He just died on the bar. Oh, God. He was just there drinking a cocktail like four in the afternoon and he just, boom. <laughs> and so they, the daughter just was like, I guess I got to sell the bar. And Johnny Depp and Chucky Weiss and some other guy, I, I don't know if they had partners bought it. Oh yeah, okay. And they changed it drastically. But. Um, yeah, that sounds like typical rock star lifestyle, though. You're just sleeping where you can, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it was hand to mouth for about a year and a half or so there in Hollywood. And then we got this deal, and they gave us a little money, and we got an apartment, and went out and bought beds that night, and we all slept like twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eating uh, bologna and cheese, no bread, and <laughs> oh my god, top ramen. Oh, Top Ramen, yeah. Uh, I don't think any of us would have survived our teenage years without Top Ramen. Yeah, right? Top Ramen and, and tortillas and, yeah. <laughs> there was actually a, there's a, there are AM, PM gas stations. They had like a two-for-a-dollar microwavable hamburgers. Mm, yeah. God knows what kind of damage that did to my system for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, uh, quarter-pound big bites from 7-Eleven that probably did a lot of yeah, damage to me. <laughs> Oh, the same thing, actually, with a different package. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, eventually, your uh, music career, as you described it, if I understood you correctly, led you to uh, deciding that, okay, I'm not making much money, so bartenders and uh, servers get to uh, take home money every night. So, yeah. that sounded like a good deal. Is that how pretty much how it got started for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was working in a wine store and realized, like, there's only so much money you can ever make in this. And, and I was getting more and more interested in spirits, mm-hmm. to be honest, actually, too. And so I sort of went off and started learning about cocktails, learning about uh, um, the history of it and the, and, and the different things that go into making all these cool cocktails. And at one point, I actually managed to move away from New York for a little while, ironically, with the name of my band. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I did not be a prisoner in New York for a minute. And I ended up working in a couple of cool restaurant bars in, uh, or restaurants in um, Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, I redid the, the, the cocktail menus for them. And I helped open a bar called The Richardson in, in Williamsburg. It's a really cool cocktail bar. I learned a lot from the, the guy that owns that, Joel. And, um, and then just started kind of getting bartending gigs at different cocktail bars uh, in the city. And strangely enough landed a gig uh bartending at my friend's bar that owned the legendary trash bar in williamsburg uh and ended up working there for for quite a while uh well for a couple of years and then and then i started selling wine as a rep on the street and stopped stopped working there but 
So you spent quite some time. A facilitator of, of selling bars the, co- the the stuff they they need to make the cocktails. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah. you spent uh, quite a little uh, bit of time in Pennsylvania. Am I right? Um, no, not Pennsylvania. Um, well, I was in Chicago. My oh. wife is from Pennsylvania, actually. Mm-hmm. But I lived in Chicago for about six years, and I was the singer in a band there. And that's when I was like actually making a pretty good living from music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I wanted to challenge myself, and I was kind of a little bored living in Chicago, so I moved to New York for no other reason than a change of pace. And that was over twenty years ago. Yeah, I was about to ask what year did that happen? Yeah, that was in nineteen ninety. Eight ninety nine. Mm-hmm. I lived in Texas for a year. Oh, really? uh, I came to New York and and it didn't quite work. Just didn't gel. <laughs> I couldn't find an apartment, so I put I left all my stuff in storage and moved to Austin, Texas, for a year. Mm-hmm. And I recorded an album while I was there, and uh, play, had a band and stuff. And then I ended up moving back to New York. So, so you uh, you just moved around so you could uh, practice your passion, actually play music, and get out in front of people, and yeah. It was pretty much that was the that was the motivation for many years. I mean, I've lived in Portland, Oregon, L.A., Boston, Austin, Chicago, New York. Now, so it's all basically going chasing the next gig or, or joining a band that I had to move to another city to, to be in or something. So. Sure. Um, now, th- uh, I only just recently found out about this and this uh, this is uh, kind of a something that I'm learning about. When you uh, when you were doing the bartending thing, actually working behind the bar, or yeah. uh, uh, I only found out recently that uh, there's a lot of bars out there, especially on the East Coast, that you only make tips. You don't get an hourly wage oh. along with it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a oh. uh, that was that's one of these weird. They call it the you know New York industry experience. Like you're bringing to the table whatever experience you had before that's going to enable you to make money and they don't have to pay you or they'll pay you a very basic. They were getting away with it for years, but now it's in New York, at least it's different. Now they have like, there's a minimum wage. So they have to pay you a, a minimum base salary. Mm-hmm. But before you get like, they pay you like $3 an hour or something. It's like some weird amount that would show up on a check, you know, to make it look sort of legit. And then you, you literally depended on your tips and for years they would they would uh, let you take your tips and, and claim them and then work out your taxes. Then they started taxing your tips. Right. Uh, then that was like a big change for a lot of bartenders, where all of a sudden they weren't just able to kind of hey I I made five hundred dollars last week and not a thousand, you know. Right. That all of a sudden the the this, the, the actual restaurant or bar was taxing all the tips they they made. So that's very different than it was. I don't um I don't know what tipping is like on the East Coast or uh or in the type of places because the tipping uh, value varies from place to place. It uh, yeah. but in the bars that I used to work at, I don't think I could have survived on tips alone. Uh, I I needed that uh yeah hourly check in. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, t- luckily in New York, it, it there's sort of this built-in industries understanding that you kind of tip well you know mm-hmm. um or or at least you know 20 percent if you're getting a, a check you know and like a couple of bucks or more if you're getting a, a drink made and you're paying in cash but uh people are pretty good it's gotten a little worse honestly over the years but 
My yeah. brother still he bartenders too. He's the drummer in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he bartends at a couple of really popular bars in Williamsburg. But one's called Rockarola and the other's called Skinny Dennis. And um, mm-hmm. but he he does good. But it's yeah, it's mainly tips. Um. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I picture those days when I was bartending because uh, I bartended in a small town in Oregon, and I picture, oh, wow. um, I pictured those days where the customer would say, what's the point of tipping? Uh, you know, don't, don't you make enough? And, um, and then I'd try to act smart and say that the definition of tipping is to ensure prompt service or something like that. And, right. Um, right. and it, it got annoying. So, uh, but there were times where like the person didn't tip me. Okay, whatever. Uh, I can, you know, I'll make it up somehow. Um, right. But when you're working on strictly tips alone, that can actually hurt, can't it? It's, it can hurt a lot. You can have some rough nights for sure. I mean, you got somebody taking up valuable real estate on your bar, and they don't uh, they don't reciprocate. That can uh, or or even if you know you're making a cocktail that takes five minutes to make or something, three minutes to make, and it's that adds up over time a lot, you know. And then someone just get adds one dollar to their check. To the, <laughs> it's not much <laughs> yeah and then you really grow to hate those people that want blended drinks yeah then you're like come on <laughs> you're like you look like a scotch and soda kind of to me <laughs> so um so uh i don't people didn't hear uh, the conversation part you said along with bartending at uh, one of the places where you worked you were also karaoke dj uh oh yeah carrying uh, on with I, your your music life uh, in a way uh yeah uh, what do you what you got to have some good stories about that yeah it's i got a couple of good ones well uh so bartending at trash or sorry being the karaoke host at trash bar on a friday night was it was like one part bouncer which i'm definitely not a bouncer i'm six two i'm a tall guy but i'm not a bouncer but i think stepping on stage and going like hey buddy can you just get off like being 6'2", it helped a little bit, and I, I don't think I have, like, an antagonistic uh, personality. But, yeah, you get the guy that just did, wouldn't get off the stage, and you have to kind of gently force, you know, force him over. But definitely, I've definitely stopped uh, fights before. <laughs> so people fight at karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> I've never experienced that, but okay. <laughs> Hard to understand. And, uh, um, you know, people getting really angry and throwing stuff at the – at the DJ or, or, or at me that, you know, like throwing a drink or something because they didn't get to come on sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another fun thing, but I, uh, I don't know if you've heard of, of a metal bar in, in Brooklyn also called St. Vitus No bar. It's a, it's a big venue. Well, I mean, they're really struggling right now. I know they're trying to raise money on a, on a GoFundMe, but they, uh, it's a, it's an amazing place. It's where Nirvana did their, their, reunion with with joan jett singing oh yeah after some big awards show they they went to it was a secret show and they went to to saint vitus and had this incredible show this whole night i, I didn't get to be there at Saturday, but, but i was also the karaoke host there for a metal karaoke night <laughs> okay. um and one night some guys were there that were being kind of rowdy and it wasn't a huge crowd and a uh they were kind of body slamming each other and doing some stuff. And, and I think they were British and uh, 
I'm on stage introducing the next song and this girl jumps on stage because she loved the song that the, it was an ACDC song that the, the DJ was playing in between the songs. And I, she started singing with me and I'm trying to introduce the next singer. And I thought it would be a good idea to pick her up on my back mm. <laughs> and uh, kind of piggyback her and then introduce the next singer. And she was a little heavier than I expected. <laughs> And, yeah. and I kind of toppled over backwards with her on top or underneath me. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, one of these drunk British guys dove on top of the stage and body slammed on top of me like he was doing a wrestling move. Oh, my. And broke three of my ribs in several places and almost broke my back. Okay. I've never heard of uh, broken bones at karaoke. That's a new one for me. <laughs> it's real. It took about... Two years to heal. Honestly, I couldn't sleep on my left side for two years. But uh, uh, women getting up and dancing to ACDC—that was always very common. Uh, That's pretty common. Yeah. And and the 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 uh, the shtick at that night was if you sing, if you get up and sing a song, you get a free shot of Evan Williams. Really? That's yeah. That's a great uh, promotion. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's the, it's the green Evan Williams, so it hurt a little the next oh, day. But yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but as a karaoke DJ and you also, uh, poured while at that same place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did that... uh I didn't, I, at the at trash bar, I was a bartender. Yeah. Okay. So did, did that add to your, uh, your persona, your character? Cause basically when you're a bartender, you're a character, you're a performer. Uh, Absolutely. being a karaoke DJ add to your bartending nights. I mean, you make friends that would come in and visit you on your bartending nights. Uh, absolutely people come in and be like oh my gosh i'm gonna sing this song this week i'm gonna do this song like good practicing all week you know now then then they get up and sing and you'd be like you practiced (laughs) no i think everybody gets to everybody should be able to sing karaoke oh yeah everybody should um whether they're good or not because that's what karaoke is for they just got drunk before because they were nervous and then they get up there and they just you know but the ones that uh get up there and sing used that used to annoy me were the ones that, uh, you know, after they sing one song and their friends cheered them on, all of a sudden they think they're going to be the next American idol or whatever, you know? Oh yeah. And then I kind of have to, yeah, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh God, that's going to be horrible. You know? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's terrible. It's hard to tell somebody that they can't sing, but. Oh, I, I tried never, never to say that, but, uh, uh, but, you know, some people like uh, this one woman, she uh, used to like to get up in karaoke and sing ACDC songs all the time. And she all of a sudden started making plans to move uh, and start a singing career because she thought, I'm a, I'm a singer. That's what I was put on this earth to do. And people are like, you're so good. And except when it came to me, they, uh, because some people knew about my background in uh music business and audio production and stuff like that. So they would make the mistake of asking me, you know, what do you think? And I, uh, I looked at her and I said, you're going to be competing at that time, this early two thousands. Uh, you're going to be competing with people like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And you're almost twice their age. Uh, I don't think it's going to end up the way it's going to be that you think it's going to be. They don't, this woman actually ended up getting angry with me leaving the bar and uh, I didn't see her for about six months. And she came back in and she said, you have no idea how right you were. That's all. And I never brought it up again. Oh, wow. 
that's tough. <laughs> hey, you, you kind of did her a service. So. Well, I, I tried to warn her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, uh, but, you know, watching people do karaoke, I, I mean, it's part of the fun. I mean, uh, whether you sing well or sing bad, uh, it's just fun to get up there and uh, step out of your comfort zone once in a while. Uh, yeah, I think it's about the performance and the enthusiasm, really. Right. And that's like, that's the greatness. Yeah, I never, I never discouraged anybody. You know, say, I don't think you should go up there. Or, you know, say, oh, you want to sing? Okay, yeah, we'll cheer you on from over here. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, people were nice to me because my uh, the shtick I got well known for in my bar was uh, singing Santana's song "Smooth" at karaoke nights. Oh, yeah. uh, and so uh it would piss my manager off hugely because i'd have to leave the bar sing the song then i get back behind the bar but uh i had a long talk with her about it and she's like i don't think you should do that anymore i had, i'm like the customers expect it they ask me to do it and they're coming in yeah. to see me do it and yeah so you know that you're getting you're making money on me doing that so why don't you just see past that a little bit yeah and, but uh that I mean, karaoke helped me because I wasn't uh, I was new at bartending at that point in time, and that kind of helped develop a uh, character for me because I wasn't that much of a talker. But now right. I got a podcast, and now I talk too much. <laughs> but That's good. Um, so, um, I read uh, on your Prisoners of New York uh, Facebook page that mm-hmm. uh, basically you and a friend. Uh, was it or was it your brother? Uh, uh, what do you? You were how you're, started you're, the band. You two basically were sitting at a bar one night, and then yeah. all of a sudden, just decided, let's try this. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's clearly like a bigger story than that, but it's it's uh, a friend of mine, like a really amazing guitar player, um, which you'll hear, I guess, later. Mm-hmm. Um, it we've we've done some other musical projects and he actually is a guitar player in a, in a live karaoke band uh to make to make cash and he teaches guitar lessons but he's he's known about town as like one of the best guitar players but we had a band together that was just it was called sword fight sword <laughs> and fight. it was just me, it was me on drums and him on guitar because i actually played drums too but i'm a singer mm-hmm. um and that was you know lasted about a year but uh i had just been coming up with song ideas i had kind of stopped my attempts to ever try a band again going back to that that initial thing of like i gotta i gotta find some other way to make money and i ended up working in this wine store that turned into kind of a career for me actually by but totally by accident and then bartending kind of evolved after that um i had kind of put that on the back burner and i did a couple of acoustic sets where i'd go and play five or six songs it was some night you know a couple of times a handful of times Mm -hmm. and then singing a little karaoke people knew that i could sing but it wasn't really like in the forefront at all, you know? And I was just kind of getting more inspired to like, what could I do to, you know, start this again? And I was coming up with songs. I was, I, I never stopped writing songs, but I was writing a lot more rock songs. And I just kind of ha- ended up meeting up with the, the guitar player at a show that was ironically this, um, somebody that worked at, at that bar, St. Vitus bar where I got my ribs broken. <laughs> and we went across the street to to rock and roll and where my brother was working weirdly and sat down at a table just having some beers and i'm like man if i started a band again 
and you got to, and I said, you, you know, I would want it to be like a band, but no one was going to try to push me into being like something that I'm not a, mm. uh, stylistically or something. I'd have to write most of the songs and kind of be in control, but it would be like a bluesy riff, heavy riff rock band with me singing kind of bluesy soulful vocals over, but really based around songs, like real songs with a chorus and a verse and a bridge and, you know, mm. not just jamming a bunch of riffs and then trying to throw some vocals over it. And rock and roll is decorated with all these pictures of rock stars and stuff. And the table is all laminated with just a collage of famous rock stars. And on that table were like, was ACDC and Bad Company and some different bands that are like big influences of mine, like weirdly sitting on that table, like that very table we were sitting at. And then I proceeded to get kind of drunk and forgot the whole thing. <laughs> and the next afternoon I got a text from the, from Andy and he said, so is this idea of this heavy bluesy rock band just all drunk talk? Or do you really want to do this? And I was like, oh shit. And I'm like, you know what? Why don't we? <laughs> yeah, that's... Right, let's do it, you know? And uh, sort of in a roundabout way, we ended up getting my brother on drums. Um, he was about to have a, a kid, so he was kind of not available really, but he we worked it out later that he could kind of join us on drums. And then an old friend from the, from the rock world here in New York, um, was thrilled to join up on bass wasn't in a band at the time. And he's, he's a guy that's played with some famous people too. So, so we're, you know, uh, uh, that was one of the things that kind of happened out of a drunken, literally out of a drunken conversation. I think I kind of painted myself into a corner. <laughs> and, and how long ago did, what, did that conversation happen? That was 2014. 2000... Uh, sorry, 2015, 15. So, and June of, June of 2015. And you guys are still writing songs and playing and, yeah, we just released that EP with uh, nothing, uh, uh, nothing to lose on it. Uh, we recorded a bunch of songs a while back, um, and once again, in Saint Vitus, Saint Vitus is, uh, comes up a lot. Uh, we, we'll go into a bar of somebody we know and set up our recording equipment and record, kind of turn it into a studio. Mm -hmm. Record during the off hours, and then we have to be packed up and ready to, and ready to load out of there at six o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so that the band's playing that night can load in. But um, we haven't been able to, to rehearse, of course, because of quarantine and all that stuff. Uh, lately, we've been talking a lot. Um, there's a possibility we could get a couple of gigs where we're actually distanced from the people listening. We'd play inside of a bar through the window, <laughs> people sitting on the street, which which I'm sounds pretty awesome for me. <laughs> mm. uh, actually, uh, that's a great idea. I have I still have friends in Seattle. Uh, one of them. Uh, probably most natural musicians I've ever met in my life, but he just loves playing cover tunes that, you know, he can, uh, he can write music, uh, amazingly, but he just, when he, uh, he just loves playing other people's music, even though his songs are great. And, right. uh, the, uh, the bar that he plays at, uh, they went out and played outside and, uh, uh for everybody just because they missed playing. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, it was just, okay, we're going to be out here uh, if you guys want to listen. So, and uh, yeah, they mean, put on a show. Not? And uh, so that's, yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, even uh, a lot of musicians are uh, doing the uh, Zoom meetings. You got the four, uh, the four squares on YouTube and you see the yeah. mus each musician uh, as they do their thing. It's, it's thoughtfully edited. 
but uh yeah it's well done i mean i follow sammy hagar and he right. he does that his band is amazing is jason bonham on drums it's incredible it's incredible but the, clearly they know what they're doing though i i'm sure i would muck that up pretty good the first few times but oh everybody does i'm sure they but uh guys like sammy hagar or who else have i seen metallica uh, mm-hmm. uh they've got people that do that stuff for them so uh that's uh yeah, I, yeah, I watched that uh, performance. Uh, watch, they, I think, pretty sure they did an acoustic version of uh, one of Sammy Hagar's Van Halen songs, and uh, yeah, it, it was good to see Michael Anthony on bass again. It's it's been a long time yeah. since I've seen him. He's great. Yeah, <laughs> he's great, and it, it looks like from the view outside of his window, every time they do that, it looks like he's living in a pretty pretty good like marina setting too. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Uh, he's on the beach somewhere, <laughs> or uh, like. Uh, the bare naked ladies did, did a couple videos too. And, uh, you see, uh, Ed, the lead singer standing in front of this amazing landscape of mountains and snow. And, um, oh, wow. and I'm yeah. thinking, wow. They're in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, back, back to prisoners of New York. Now, one yeah. of, uh, when I, I cruise around band camp all the time to look for musical acts to put on the show, because I feel that music goes along with, uh, bar life, you know, they go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I love to promote uh, independent artists or if uh, they're not that independent, but they still let me use their song. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I listened to, uh, when I listened to you, uh, nothing to lose, I was, I was listening to it and I'm, it was almost a relief for me to hear your style of music again, because I was getting tired of, uh, either overproduction or way underproduction and, or songs that were just, you know, built off one riff. And, uh, it kind of, it brought me back, uh, brought me back to, well, I'm, my musical tastes are, uh, a little old. I mean, my first and foremost favorite band in the world is the Beatles and, uh, then the who, and then it kind of spirals off from there going to, Billy Joel, Garth Brooks, but um, to hear actual uh, bluesy rock and roll again, it was yeah. just like, oh, thank God it's still out there. <laughs> yeah, we get that a lot, actually. <laughs> we get that comment a lot. <laughs> and, uh, because uh, was uh, The Darkness, when they came out with that one single, I believe in a thing called Love, I, I remember... Yeah. Actually, watching MTV was probably one of the last times I ever watched him MTV, and I went, "Yes, Butt Rock's back." <laughs> yeah, back. But uh, yeah, uh, so uh, that I uh, really enjoyed uh, listening to your song, and I'll, we'll be playing that uh, up next, or in just a few minutes. Sure. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, say about the song lead, uh, before we before I play it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an extension of the whole, like the way we came up with the name. I, I just <clears throat> was riding the M train home from work to from Brooklyn to Queens. And that's uh, how I kind of write all my songs <laughs> at some point. And uh, I wrote a song called I'm a Prisoner of New York City because I was just feeling like down and out. I'm like, I've, I'm done with this place, man. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. How can I put that into music? And then we couldn't think of a name and every name of a band I came up with sounded like a strip club in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, like hoochie coochies yeah. or like 
But uh, so our, our genius guitar, guitar player that was also at that first you know meeting when we decided to come up with this band, he, he just it just occurred to him one night, Prisoners of New York, because the song was already there. Um, so that the, the song, Nothing to Lose, it's, it's all this kind of love. It's a love hate thing with New York. It's a it's a Stockholm syndrome is the name of our second EP where like you fall in love with your captor. Right. Right. Uh, so we're we're stuck here. We're happy. Nobody's trying to leave. I mean, I tried to leave a few times. It didn't work out. So I've just given up. But uh, yeah, so it's an extension of that. It's this. Let's let's run away. The city's getting crazy. There's a line about uh, it's combustible and the streets grow mean and the temperature soars, which I thought was very fitting for this last five or you know so months here in New York. It just seems to kind of weirdly fit, even though I wrote the lyrics like two or three years ago. But it's about kind of getting out of the city and let's let's have this dream of like someday we'll we can move up to the mountains or something. You know, we got nothing to lose. So, but it's really just a song about hope and kind of like when you're feeling one of those days where it just seems like everything goes wrong. And by the time you get home, you feel like you've been through war. And, and with that, from their uh, EP, Servitude, here is Prisoners of New York with their single, Nothing to Lose. Yeah. 
From Brooklyn, New York, from their album Servitude, that was Prisoners of New York with their song Nothing to Lose. If you want to find out more about them, you can head on over to bandcamp.com, listen to more of their music. they got plenty of music out there for you. If you want to find out even more about them, you can also jump on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Before we get back to the interview with Shane Smith, I just want to remind you guys, if you are in need of morning wake-up juice, head on over to bartendersowncoffee.com. There you can find a whole bunch of uh, different blends of coffee, uh, novelty coffee cups, and coffee machines. Head on over to bartendersowncoffee.com, and if you use promo code HEYBARTENDER, you get 20% off your entire order if you use promo code HEYBARTENDER at bartendersowncoffee.com. Go there today and get yourself some morning wake-up juice. And now we finish up the conversation that we were having with Shane Smith. Uh, so, uh, uh, how's your quarantine going? Quarantine has been very interesting. I, I actually contracted COVID-19. Oh, you did? Uh, on, on March 14th. Yeah. Uh, is the day I, I was finishing up work and started feeling pretty weird throughout the day, feeling like I was in a, in a dream world where I was sort of removed from reality. And then by the time I got home, I had a temperature and the next day I was, it was full on. So, I was out of work for two weeks. I had a really bad case of it. and was really sick and cough and lungs and fever and all that and crazy body aches and stuff. And my wife caught it. Um, she's a fair amount younger than me. She had a, like a three-day episode of it. Mm-hmm. We've both since tested positive for antibodies. So. so then I went straight back to work. And I work in the Lower East Side at a, at a wine shop in the Lower East Side of, of Manhattan. So... Uh, I stopped riding the train because the train train was was terrifying. Right. Uh, it just it was just like went from modern you know March whatever to 1985, like almost overnight. Yeah. It was just crazy, and uh, so we've been driving to work, and um, and then uh, it's it's gotten a little better since then, but the Lower East Side is a and then the East Village in New York is a very different place today. There's a lot of homeless people, a lot of uh, mentally ill, I think, kids that were let uh, let go out of either Rikers uh, <laughs> Rikers Island Jail or or Bellevue. Where there's a psych ward in Bellevue because they needed to make room for beds for people with COVID. Yeah. And they're all on, living on the streets now. And there's like shanty towns popping up and, and kids coming up to your window, like every stoplight or every stop sign you come up to. And or, I mean, kids, like people, you know, right. men even women sometimes and it's very different so it's a it's been a really uh it's been a very real experience uh going through all this and uh, i uh, have i haven't seen oh. much of that i live in west texas and yeah uh, where west texas or oh, do you not say uh, i live in odessa odessa texas odessa, so okay midland odessa yeah yeah cool. uh and in in west texas the I haven't seen anything really change. I mean, the stores are closed and, uh, you know, you have to wear a mask where you go. I don't see right. too many people raising a fuss. Not all those, not like all those videos, uh, the quote unquote Karen videos, uh, on social media. I don't see right. many people causing trouble. Uh, even the, uh, the riots really didn't affect this area. And, yeah. um, it, everybody seems to just being cool with it and uh, just, okay, I'll wear a mask. Uh, okay. I'll wash my hands. And 
um, has uh, since you actually contracted the COVID, you you officially are the first person I've met that's actually contracted uh, the wow. virus. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, uh. Has your tendencies have has your habits changed since having it? Other than well, you already mentioned that you drive to work now. You don't take the train. Uh, I mean, I occasionally take the train because it's, it's it's become more difficult to park in the neighborhood again. So people are coming. A lot of people ran away from New York, especially like neighborhoods where there's a little money, which is kind of right up against where we where we work. So um, uh, I t- I do take the train, and my wife takes the train every day to work. So it's that's kind of a trip, and you got to wear the mask, and then there's always people on the mask, and it's always the worst person, like. The person like takes down the mask and then starts coughing <laughs> on the train, you know, like everybody's just horrified and like recoils away. Uh. But, um, but then, you know, you've got, uh, like for instance, I went out showing wine today because the wines that I import and I wear my mask and I, I sanitize before I, I get out of the car and go into the place. I ask them what their, you know, what their rules are, if there's anything special they'd like me to do. And, it's, it's definitely a completely different way of interacting with people. It's totally different. And I guess maybe it's a little more in your face in New York just because it was so bad here. And, it's, you know, we, we're all living now with the fear is there going to be a second wave in the fall or winter. So, mm. um, and then there's the whole restaurants all set up on the sidewalk and the street, which is a total trip. Yeah, I bet. Uh, now New York's got tons of restaurants and, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I only, the only thing I know about New York is what I see in TV and the movies. I'm, uh, I, I did do a trip to Syracuse just for a couple weeks for work once, but, uh, there wasn't a lot to see out in Syracuse, but, um, (laughs) but when you're dealing with like New York city, they, uh, you got all those, uh, all those famous restaurants that are basically a hole in the wall and they're still, are they, the restaurants are still just trying to survive uh, with yeah, like, a lot takeout. Of, I, mean, I hear about a new one closing, going, deciding to close every day, which is really sad. Yeah. Uh, um, I've also heard a new place is opening that have the balls to be like, we were going to open when this all started. So we're going to open, you know? Um, and I, for, on that matter, like our wine importing company, uh, my, my company is called Rough Mix Wines, by the way, R-U-F-F mixed wines if anybody wants to look us up um we started just before we only got our wines in at the end of 2019 and i had about two months to try and go out to sell them to customers mm-hmm. and so you know we feel like we're kind of in that same realm we're i'm walking into a restaurant that may not have any budget to buy anything they're still trying to sell the wines that they had six months ago and going hey are you guys open to seeing and you know my portfolio or checking out some wines it's a it's pretty tricky pretty tricky uh, dance, you know? Uh, but a lot of these restaurants, especially people that you can tell have maybe a little bit more money, they've built these crazy little patios out on the sidewalk or they extend into the street. Uh, it definitely looks dangerous when you look at it. These people are just set up literally where the cars normally parked. Yeah. Um, and they have to have a kind of a structure built around where the tables are that's 18 inches thick and has reflectors that cars can see when they're driving by. And then they just try to make it look as nice and attractive as they can. You got to give it to these restaurants, like the tenacity, the, uh, that New York spirit to try to try to survive. Uh, sure. it's, it's, it's inspiring actually. And they're killing it. But also every, uh, all of New York is walking around drunk on the streets right now. So. <laughs> uh, We've turned it to Orleans, literally. 
Um, you know, I half expected that of Las Vegas, but when COVID-19 was in, uh, the quarantine was in full effect, I, people were sending me pictures of the strip in Las Vegas and it was a ghost town and, and I, uh, no cars, maybe two or three pedestrians in the picture. I'm like, that's crazy. When you were talking about, uh, some odd, uh, uh, odd people out on the streets, I recently visited my family in Portland. And okay. Portland, uh, I, I guess, made has made the news quite a bit over uh, over everything that's going on right now. You, uh, and when I got there, I was looking around going, this is not the Portland I remember because uh, a bunch of the businesses are boarded up. They, yeah. Some of the businesses were previously on fire before they got boarded up. Homeless yeah. people living on the sidewalks. It's scary. And I felt bad for a lot of the businesses because I know a lot of the mom and pop businesses around there and Mm -hmm. I'm sure they had to shut down completely and, uh, are worried about whether or not they can go back. Um, I mean, you know, one of my favorite restaurants out there, uh, well, it's a, uh, New York style restaurant. They, uh, called Richie B's best cheese, cheese steaks in Portland, best, uh, uh, Great Sicilian style pizza, yeah, but actually, it's not called Richie B's anymore. But fans of Richie B's will know who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, I was actually kind of worried about them. But when I never got to that street where I knew they were at. But it's it's scary out there right now. And uh, worries, yeah, the worries bars are trying to, Speaking of bartenders, I mean the bartenders are the bars are trying to survive here, and the state has made a law that you have to serve food. Of course. With, with drinks because people are just walking up and buying frozen margaritas or just whatever the bar is doing and just stumbling around the streets, literally drunk, you know, and I think it's a kind of a way for the city and the state to try to save face a little bit too. Yeah. But now you have to like serve somebody a cheese sandwich or something, you know, here's your beer and your cheese sandwich Mm. or your pretzel, you know, like (laughs) has to be more than chips or pretzels, I guess. Um, but you know, people are coming up with some pretty creative, creative ways to stay alive. And a lot of my bartending friends, have, you know, somehow managed to survive through this. They're not making the same kind of money, but they're not dying. So, that's well, that's good. good. Um, and people are coming out and trying to support, honestly, they really are. The people are tipping huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen quite a few, uh, things in social media where the bars are opening back up, you know, at like 50% capacity, but, yeah. uh, but people are truly supporting the regulars are showing yeah. true support by tipping well, or just making an extra effort to go to their favorite watering hole just for a visit. And yeah, I absolutely. think that's just awesome. Yeah. And there's like a little bit of a, maybe a sneaky relief aspect to it too. If you go to a bar and you sit in the outside area and you can take off your mask. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Tell, give me the lowdown on Rough Nicks. I want to know more about that. Yeah, so uh, Rough Nicks. So after years of, I've been a manager and wine buyer for several different stores and a couple of bars. And I opened a wine bar called Black Mountain uh, that's still in business. Just I'm not affiliated with it, but uh, I'd accumulated a lot of experience and a lot of contacts and a lot of friends. Not just people that were buyers and 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 people in the industry here in New York, but winemakers and. Uh, people out, you know, in Europe. So uh, the last place I managed was a, a really cool place. The guy's actually from San Antonio, Texas, and uh, has family in Marfa, Texas. 
uh, of this wine store called Duke's Liquor Box in Greenpoint. And I was working there uh, and I just kind of was having that feeling like, you know, this is cool, but I, I need to do something more. I've done too much in this business to, to kind of keep managing a wine store and whatever. It's nice to have be able to go play in the band and everything, but we need to do something different. So I came up with the idea while I was on vacation with my wife in France to, you know, maybe really try to start importing wine. I thought about it for years. It seemed always like it wasn't in my, in my reach, uh, within my grasp, like financially. So we figured out a way. We just kind of started crunching the numbers and a good friend of mine, I asked for advice from, uh, who's a distributor, just a small little wine distributor. He actually delivers the wine to his customers himself. He just said, why don't you team up with me and, and I'll be your distributor and we'll start bringing the wines in and see how it goes. Um, and I said, you know, I was like, that sounds amazing. And I'm like, I got to have a name because now in New York, you know, it's like all these new little companies have their cool names, but it had to be something music, music kind of related. And I just came up with that idea of like a rough mix of a song. Like sometimes the rough mix that you got at the, at the oh. studio, the night you finished recording mm-hmm. sounds better than the one you finished for the album, you know? Yeah. Yeah. More okay. gutsy and it's, more, it's got more passion. So. Oh, it's rough mix. It, rough mix. I, I think I called it rough mix. So, oh, rough yeah. mix, rough like mix, R U F F M I X X, M I X. Sorry, M I X. I could I could hold up the our logo for you, but I'm. Oh, this is car. this is an audio podcast. Don't worry. Yeah, about I know. It. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and we have roughmix.com. So, but uh, yeah, so we started it up. We I went on a trip out to France and Spain, searching for some wines. I had a couple of contacts and stayed with a friend of mine that's a winemaker and. Little by little, over a 10, 10 day period, just one thing after another kept popping up into my radar. And I came back with way more options than I thought I would have of people that had never even exported their wine to America before and found some really cool things. And I was off to a great start in the first of the year before COVID. Um, but we're, we're coming back strong now. We really had a couple of good, several good weeks in a row right now. So we've got a goal now to kind of double our, our, best month at the end of this month so so um and it's all natural wine with like low or no sulfites oh that that uh that's great um yeah uh so when you go out searching for wine or when you're looking for people to import stuff um Mm -hmm. do you have a specific list of things that you look for yes i do um one one is going to be the region i have places i like and i figure like Especially in the beginning, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go with what you know and what you what you love. There's a lot of French wine in America, but I felt like I had something I could add to that um, in Spanish wine. So I go for the region first, and I specifically went to the south of France and Catalan, Spain. Then it has to be a small producer that's working in a very like organic and natural way, where they're not putting a lot of additives or any any additives into the wine. Um, and somebody that's willing to work with a small guy like me that's kind of in the same boat as me. Like, hey, we're we're in the same level as you. Maybe we've, we've been making wine for three or four or 10 years or 20 years, but we've never exported to America. And we don't know how it works. You know, we want to we want to grow together. We maybe you can help us along the way, too. You know, mm-hmm. so that it's kind of like that. I've met a couple of producers that are bigger in France and bigger in Europe that I was a little <laughs> a little intimidated, a little nervous to kind of. They were open to it, but I was like, maybe I'm not ready for you yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of expectation too, you know? Sure. 
Um, do you test the wines before you decide to just try Oh, yeah. It? Yes, I, I go there. I taste everything, uh, sometimes more than once. Um, I take copious notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to try to spit when I'm tasting, so I don't. Uh, Keyword try. Don't let the, the wine <laughs> get the best of me. <laughs> you know? Honestly, in the, the ten day trip I took, I, I didn't. I didn't really drink all but one night uh, back at my Airbnb in this little tiny village in France, and I went to the bar to have a couple of beers, and it's like it was like a scene out of a david lynch movie it was the weirdest <laughs> weirdest place I've ever just bizarre the guy playing harmonica at the bar and another guy was passed out on the bar <laughs> like, hi what, what what would you like i'm like how do you know i'm american why did you ask me in english like you just stick out like a sore thumb you know <laughs> and then i went back to my my airbnb and drank you know drank a bunch of wine and kind of got a little tipsy and went to sleep but the rest of the time i was so worried about getting pulled over by a cop after tasting wine or something and i just and also just keeping my mind, you know, focused on the wine. So I take a lot of notes and then come back and hope that it all translates. Once I get back here, I remember it all, you know. Now, the process of testing wine, uh, you, uh, I've only seen seen it done on TV. I've talked to a couple wine connoisseurs that I've run into in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. do, you, do you actually use that little silver cup uh, and just take a small sip, let it uh, uh, hit your taste buds, and then... No, I mean, I use a, I mean, you know, I'm always using a real, like a good wine glass. Right. Um, well-made, well-made glass doesn't have to be so expensive, but just something more than the cheapest thing. You can find. But, um, you know, when you go to visit these guys, you're, you're depending on whatever glasses they have, you know? Mm. So you really never know. I've tasted some weird, some weird glasses. Like, you know, when he's like, here, let me wash the glasses. And he just rinses them under like a weird faucet, you know, like, like a garden hose faucet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're tasting wine, you know, but uh, you kind of have to trust your instincts. Luckily I've been in this a long time, but, um, but yeah, you kind of smell it. You taste it, you roll it around in your mouth, you swish it. And do then you, have, you uh, spit it out. <laughs> do you have a, uh, do you have a favorite wine as of right now? You've been sipping oh, on something uh, uh, through this. Yeah, I've been drinking here. this awesome uh, wine that we import called Loup Blanc from the south of France, which mm-hmm. mean, which translates to the White Wolf. Uh, that's an old wine. When I, uh, many years ago, I was a rep at a company called Jenny and Francois, and I we she represented that wine, and then they they parted ways, and that was one of the things that popped up when I was in France last September. Is they were they didn't have representation, so I got up early and drove an hour plus over to find their house, you know, their place. And, and uh, we tasted all the wines. I'm old friends with the owner. So taste all the wines and hand shook a deal. And that was that, that was that the people who love the wines are really good. Mm. That's a, that's definitely high on the list. I would say, man, what do I really love right now? We have a wine from Spain. That's, that's made in the Priorat region. That is, uh, yeah, sorry, hon. She just came by and picked up the bottle and was shocked to see it was empty. <laughs> have some coffee. Um, so, uh, but there we have this other wine. Uh, it's from it's from the Priorat region, which is this kind of remote, a little bit region. It was a lot of monasteries. It has this crazy history as far as like you know Spanish history, um, and really steep rocky vineyards that people don't really want to work anymore. Or, some of them have been just left to go fallow, they call it, like go wild. And uh, this this producer I found, um, they go out and work some of these 
difficult plots and difficult like areas and uh, combine all the grapes and make a natural wine with no additives, no sulfites or anything added. And it's just this really pure, rich, beautiful, dark fruit. You can't see through it. Oh, it's like black. And uh, people love it. Like every time I go out and taste people, it's like the middle of something. We're in the middle of the heat wave still in New York right now. Mm-hmm. And it's a full bodied rich wine. And I pour that for them like kind of a bit towards the end. And they're like, wow, I think that's my favorite one. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of a favorite right now. Is uh, this wine that, that seems to entice people, even though it's, you know, crazy heat index outside and whatever. And they're like, wow, I love this. Yeah. Um, unfortunately as a bartender uh, and I'm not much of a drinker, I'm, it's not because I think drinking's bad for you or anything. I, I'm just really bad at it. And nah. Uh, unfortunately I don't know much about wine and, uh, cause we just, uh, the bars that I worked at got deals from our distributor and we just had a, like a, uh, Pinot, Chardonnay, Merlot and a white Zin. That's that, those were the, uh, those were the regular ones that we carried all the time. And, uh, but I, I do have, uh, a couple friends who have worked as uh, uh, wine taste or wine tasters Stop or uh, or working at working for wineries like um, like my sister in law she used to work for wineries in Walla Walla Washington. Oh yeah, awesome! And awesome. she could probably talk me under the table of everything she knows about wine, and yeah. I can just sit there going. Uh, okay because <laughs> right. I, I don't have that knowledge uh i i'm sure if i would have uh caught on to another bar i probably would have had to sit through a week of classes okay this particular wine has this kind of bouquet and a sweet flavor or a yeah. dry flavor uh i it, that would have been difficult for me but <laughs> especially since uh you know, we probably might had to do a couple samples every now and then. And when I get alcohol in my system, my face turns bright freaking red. So yeah, yeah. a little embarrassing at the same time. Might be a little red right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so going from uh, rock and roller to bartender, back to rock and roller to wine distributor, you've led a really groovy life. It's been, it's been an interesting trip. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, we're nearing the end of the show. I really appreciate you being on. Um, is, uh, is there, uh, any way that you would like people to know how to get a hold of you to, uh, find the website for rough mix or, uh, where they can find your music? Uh, Tell us everything, how to get a hold of you. Yeah, it's, pretty simple uh rough mix wines we're on instagram we're just at rough mix wines r-u-f-f-m-i-x-w-i-n-e-s and roughmixwines.com and we have a good website with information about our producers uh and then for the band it's prisoners of new york at you know dot bandcamp.com and we spell it all out no no abbreviations it's prisoners of new york and then the same thing on Instagram at prisoners of New York. And we just released our new EP servitude. Um, people are liking it. So, well, uh, yeah. I, like I said, it was a refreshing change from some of the, uh, some of the rock and roll nowadays. So <laughs> I really appreciate that. And we, we would, 
like more people to hear us. So, you know, and, uh, that that's one, yeah. one of the reasons why I developed the show. So cool. Well, I really appreciate that. And we appreciate the, the exposure and the love. Anyway, people, it is last call. That's right. Last call for alcohols. Time to close up this place and go home. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Finish that drink uh, before I take it away from you. Uh, anyway, I'd like to give a, a good special thanks to Shane Smith for being on the show. Remember to go check out his business, Rough Mix, uh, for wine distribution. and Check out more music from his band, uh, Prisoners of New York. Uh, I'd also like to remind you guys, uh, share, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also visit www.heybartenderpodcast.com where you can uh, listen to the latest podcasts. You can catch up on old ones. You can even pick up some old Hey Bartender podcast swag. Got some really cool stuff on there. T-shirts, challenge coins, you, uh, you know, just go check it out. Uh, and a quick reminder uh, f- uh, for our sponsors, bartendersowncoffee.com. Use promo code HEYBARTENDER at checkout and get 20% off your full order. Remember, people, if you want to get a hold of me, all you have to do is follow me on Facebook, Hey Bartender Podcast. Follow me on Instagram, Hey Bartender Podcast. Or just send me an email, dude at HeyBartenderPodcast.com. If you want to promote yourself, you want to promote your restaurant, or you want to even promote your band, just let me know, dude at HeyBartenderPodcast.com, and I will make that happen for you. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, as usual, I got to tell you all, I wish you all lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness, and don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's last go? I just got here.